0: Hey, it's Pretty Little Grown Men. I'm David Greenwald.
1: I'm Dom Nicola.
0: We're back with a recap of Pretty Little Liars, Season 6, Episode 4, uh, which is called...
1: Don't Look Now.
0: Not Don't Look Back in Anchor.
1: <laughs> no. The Summer of Answers continues.
0: Yes, this was a pretty heavy episode. Um, the Liars learned that Charles DeLaurentis was a real person... Uh, who is now allegedly dead after mm-hmm. a life in Radley. Yeah. That's a big deal.
1: Um, we obviously don't think that Charles is dead.
0: And neither does Hannah, because she is wise.
1: <laughs> well, but Hannah accepted pretty, pretty quickly uh, the explanation that because there's vines and roots growing around the grave, that therefore there's no reason to unearth the body.
0: Right, right. Which was kind of a funny, I mean, talk about, like, a ridiculous, like, <laughs> proof, right, for that, for that moment. Like, oh, well, there's, like, vines and stuff growing on the headstone. <laughs> so clearly the headstone's been here a long time. Yeah. As opposed to there's a body in there. Like, those two things are not necessarily connected.
1: Everyone seemed pretty convinced. In right. fact, it was, you know, it was, it was convincing enough that uh, it was time for Jason and, and Allison to start hugging like right. to start grieving. It's like it's it's time to start grieving, Allison. Let's hug. Right. Brother and sister time. Yeah. Uh and Hannah stopped digging and Spencer who's like tweaking so fucking hard uh just like has nothing nothing really to add to the situation. She's she's pretty useless right now right. because she wants that candy so bad.
0: <laughs> that that medical those medical marijuana brownies <laughs> yeah. which she has managed to scam off of this new uh, migraine having slash stoner person, uh, who works at the, the brew spot,
1: the brewski. The, the Ezra's book hole. <laughs> yes. So I guess that, I guess it is, I guess we've learned that it's now, it's still called the brew. Right. It's just under the ownership of Ezra Fitz.
0: Which he bought with magic money for some reason.
1: Yeah. Probably his mom's money. Right.
0: I mean, none of that has Or been the money explained. that
1: he, st- he had hidden in his dresser or wherever it was. Oh, yeah. Yeah, he never used that, right? Uh, the knows? most he used it was for that train set that he bought for his fake kid.
0: Well, and all those cameras that he put all over Rosewood. <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, those aren't cheap. You know? <laughs> he, has a, he obviously hasn't returned them. Right. right. I wonder if he could return them.
0: I mean, if you buy them from Costco... They have a pretty lenient return policy on spy cameras. <laughs> I think you can take them back up to a year and then upgrade to the new one.
1: Lucky, lucky enough, you can It's like flat them, screen TVs. You can buy them in bulk from Costco. <laughs> Especially if you're monitoring the whole town.
0: Right, right. <laughs> well, speaking of monitoring, um, there were two interesting moments with that in this episode. One is we finally see A sitting at his or her computer mm-hmm. with like tracking things on every single one of the liars. Mm-hmm. On some kind of crazy surveillance map. That's insane.
1: Yeah. So what it like what does he have attached? It must be their phones. To them. It must be their phones. Yeah. Which again, like what the fuck? Why why are they still carrying around these phones?
0: Right. How are you not getting a new phone like on a weekly basis?
1: I mean they know about burners. Emily Emily explained that they know well about burners. Right. They've learned.
0: Right. Although uh, Allison is not being tracked.
1: That's strange. Which is interesting. That's a good point. Yeah. Uh, maybe maybe Charles just wants to give Allison some privacy while she figures out what's going on right. with her dad. Well,
0: let's so let's talk about this Charles situation. We have a couple of options. One is that Charles, uh, Mrs. De Laurentiis, faked his death mm-hmm. um, because she was trying to. Uh, protect him from Mr. De Laurentiis, who obviously wanted him in Radley and is sort of the villain of the story. Yeah. Um, who said
1: that it was a relief when he found out that Charles was dead.
0: Totally. And Mrs. De Laurentiis went to visit him as along with this mysterious aunt mm-hmm. who we've never heard of before. Carol. Yes.
1: Carol is such an aunt name. Totally. <laughs> aunt Carol. I, I actually don't have an... Do you have an Aunt Carol? I don't. Oh, neither do I. Well... Hillary, then, do you have an Aunt Carol? No.
0: That's a no. Well, you're right though. It sounds very ant like. <laughs> it's you,
1: not
0: it's not th- it's not disbelievable
1: no. that there would be. If you have an aunt named Carol call in right now. <laughs> yeah,
0: tweet in tweet into the podcast. Let it <laughs> let us know. Um, but so either Charles' death was faked by Mrs. D, which seems reasonable, or someone in Radley decided to take on Charles' persona mm-hmm. to wreak havoc on his family. Right. Who would be interested in doing that or have the motivation to, number one? And number two, how does that tie into Bethany Young and Mrs. DeLorentis' visits to her also in Radley?
1: Right. Um, it's hard to tell who. I mean, we don't really know who... We don't know the, know that many people who have been in Radley besides Bethany Young, her friend who had the drawings, which was her roommate, I think. Yes. Yeah um and Spencer Mo- and Mona yeah um so and
0: um Toby's mom
1: Toby's mom mysteriously killed yeah i i wonder if Charles killed Toby's mom there could be a connection this well, could all loop back around and Toby's Toby's mom was uh a potentially faked suicide right right so we have two fake, potentially fake suicides within Randley's walls.
0: And we also have in the A scene at the end of the episode, which we haven't had one of those in a while. Nice yeah. to have those back. Mm-hmm. We see A eating some more, you know, chewy taffy candies, which is what we saw someone who broke into the police headquarters eating yeah. last season. That's right. And at the time, that's when I thought it was Toby doing some freelance detective work in his spare time. And then that didn't really get that theory sort of didn't play out right no so maybe that was charles or toby maybe toby is a we
1: haven't seen toby in a while
0: yeah although it seems wait it seems unlikely that he i guess he can't be a right because he came in and was leading the charge of the police into the dollhouse i guess with charles still there i mean it can't really be toby I'm not 100% sold on Toby not secretly being evil, though.
1: Right. Yeah. I'm not 100% sold on Sarah Harvey not being Charles.
0: Well, <laughs> you keep on keeping on with that theory.
1: Okay, well. It is,
0: it is a thought, but it's, you know, uh, if Charles is sitting at the computer watching Emily at the pool, he can't be Sarah.
1: That's very true. Unless once again there were multiple A's. I mean we kinda just ignored the fact that there were a bunch of A's and now there aren't anymore. You're right. You know? Right. So if we if we think back to and what about Andrew? Yeah. I feel like that the the police seem to What about Mona, by the way,
0: who continues to be conspicuously absent from the town?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Where she wherever she went with her mom.
0: Who knows? You would think if you were the liars that you would be like, we need Mona involved in this immediately because she is a psycho genius.
1: Right. I saw on uh, PLL Sherlock the Instagram that uh, they found a repeated many times um, people going to Saratoga, New York, Uh that that's where Mona went, Saratoga, New York, and that uh, a number of times over the seasons, People have gone to Saratoga, New York. Uh-huh. So that might have that's... some meaning or that's just the writers knowing very little New York geography. Perhaps.
0: <laughs> yeah, it could be a, a euphemism for doing something <laughs> for
1: upstate. <laughs> Although
0: I did I did you know what I did like was that we saw when Jason escaped from the hospital and we were like, "Where did he go? How did he get whisked away? What's going on? You know, he get he does reveal, oh, I went to go crash at my aunt's house and ran to my crazy mom there mm-hmm. covering for Charles yeah. or whoever
1: probably Charles probably
0: Charles
1: because Charles isn't dead right so they bare, so they created that tombstone i would imagine that if you're going to fake a suicide or a death in general that you're going to want to cover all your bases including a tombstone right you know of course there would be a tombstone just cuz the kid's cremated doesn't mean that there wouldn't be a tombstone so it yeah. makes sense that a that a good solid hoax would have that. And especially if Charles was masterminding it.
0: Right. Yeah, I you know, I guess it doesn't genius. I guess it doesn't matter to me if it's Charles or a fake Charles because it still has to be it still has to be someone and it doesn't if it's not Charles it doesn't answer the question of why torture the liars, why is it through this the De family and kill Mrs. D? You know, if it is Charles and his mom was taking care of him, why would he decide to murder her instead of the dad first?
1: Well, the, because, unless... Yeah, that makes sense. Is Well, yeah, I guess, yeah, why kill her in, at all? If and she was always on your side.
0: And there's still the whole thing of, like, her trying to get Spencer put in jail or whatever and, like, leaving dirt in Spencer's bed and all this stuff. There was, like, mm. a solid three episodes where the show was like... Mrs. D is A, yeah. you know? And she was, like, haunting Spencer's house or whatever, and then she all of a sudden she gets killed. And so does that happen because she was working with Charles?
1: So, and she
0: was... I mean, are we are we supposed to believe that she was somehow anti Allison for some reason? Because those thoughts are not connected, because Allison and Charles have nothing to do with each other that we're aware of.
1: Well, I mean, the... A few things. I think that like the the idea that Charles is the idea that Charles is a makes a lot of sense, or the idea that Charles killed Bethany Young uh-huh. is Charles is alive still uh-huh. and killed Bethany Young, thinking that it was Allison. That 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 clears up a lot. Uh huh. I think because or because
0: Bethany Young knows that Charles isn't dead.
1: Right. Because and that also clears up as we were talking before. Uh, Bethany Young's drawings make a lot more spent sense, you know. And I, I never thought that when they first revealed those, those like fucking like J.R.R. Tolkien type drawings, that it, that it meant that, that uh, that Mrs. De Laurentiis was like an orc, you know. Uh-huh. It meant that there was an an orc like presence, either haunting her or praying on her, or, or next to her in her life. It didn't mean that she sort of was, like, externalizing this evil. And so, if Bethany drew those, that means that Bethany was well aware that Charles was this sort of, like, extremely monstrous presence uh-huh. in the De is life, and that the only person who actually knew that she was alive was Mrs. De Laurentiis. Sure. And if that whole thing was except Okay, so... I feel like we have to. I feel like we have to talk a little bit about timeline to, for it to make any sense. Yes, <laughs> which is
0: which is nerve wracking because we have a new a uh, new listener to the yeah. podcast. Um, Pretty Little Liars. One of the Pretty Little Liars directors uh, checked us out and tweeted about us, and it was very very kind of him. Um, but he tweeted at us that he hopes we're not obsessed with ships or timeline, and we kind of have to be a little bit obsessed with timeline, because yes. this ultimately is, yes, it is a dream logic horror movie, but, you know, it's also an extremely specific murder mystery, yeah. and so all these details do actually matter, and I hope the show is being created, you know, so it will stand up to at least the, the, the moderate amount of uh, checking that we're willing to do without, like, rewatching everything.
1: And that's, what's, and that's kind of, you know, you have... I think that in order to become and in, in really invested in the show, if you're not obsessed with, like, ships and cute boys, which we're not...
0: Right. What else is there? Timelines.
1: Exactly. What else? <laughs> but precise, meticulous details.
0: <laughs> I, I actually thought this show... You know what I really liked about this episode? One of the things I was concerned about when they got out of the dollhouse so quickly was, like, well, what are the ramifications going to be? And the season has done such an awesome job so far of, like, letting it be super traumatic and having them have flashbacks and, like, letting it unspool sort of piece by piece Mm -hmm. and leaving it more mysterious. And that was, like, a risky choice because it made that episode feel – that premiere episode feel almost kind of premature. But now I think it's really paying off in uh, pretty intense ways with Spencer and, you know, with – uh, with Arya showing her dad this photo and breaking down, and so it's like, it's it's happening in a really cool way, as opposed to like feeling like this sort of heavy thing that they deal with and then move on from. Right, it's like an ongoing thing, which yeah. is which is what what I want to see.
1: And I want to just a little bit about timelines because I feel like a lot of the emotional heft of the show draws upon the the idea that it's grounded in a reality of concrete details. And once you start introducing the idea of dream logic as an explanation, then you're essentially just falling into David Lynch territory, which, you know, is give or take sometimes emotional, sometimes just fucking silly.
0: But that said, this is a show with an actual ghost uh, and with a psychic lady and with uh, the ghost of Christmas Mona, despite Mona not being dead. Okay. So there is a lot of... There have been elements of, like, supernatural, supernatural slash surrealism to the show. I think the issue that comes up to me is, like, since it's not at the center of the show, it feels like, where is this coming from? What was the point of this?
1: Well, right. That, that's why... As I opposed read. to it being more baked in. Well, right. I think that when you when you don't have, like, a supernatural element... As a, at the core of a show, and therefore is not shared amongst all of the characters, then you can sort of write it off as, you know, a figment of people's minds, or, you know, a, a, a manifestation of some sort of uh, psychosis or fear, and, and that's why ultimately Ravenswood just kind of like fizzled out and shat its bed, you know, because it's just kind of like, you can't you're trying to you're try, you're trying to keep these two universes connected and they're very different, one of which is sustained on a spiritual force that the other show tries to avoid for the most part
0: mm-hmm.
1: and you know it's like who's going to win obviously the parent show and the little baby show died right um but and we,
0: you know I only watched I only got halfway through Ravens with, so I right. can't really say what happened or how far it went but you know that was definitely a show about ghosts and curses and all this sort of supernatural intense supernatural stuff but I think the episode with the little girl ghost do you think now that we think Charles is alive and is the villain is that girl supposed to be a young Bethany Young because it's not supposed to be it's not a sister character to Allison because now we can say she doesn't she didn't have a twin character
1: no, and the twin character I think is, is, I don't know, maybe it's like somehow tied to Jason. Um, I don't know, I mean...
0: Or is it just going to be this thing that was just another red herring, which is also fine.
1: Yeah, I think it might be. I don't know, it's, you know, because it's, yeah, because there's no longer any possibility that there's some child that died. That, right. that makes any sort of emotional sense.
0: Right. But I think it could be, it could be Bethany Young as like, in a child state. I or, don't think that would be the craziest thing. Or
1: it could just be, uh, Hannah's mom's like, weird psychological manifestation of helplessness.
0: Right. And they just pick the same actress as Allison's story about the twins just for, just to mess with us.
1: Right, exactly. Yeah. That seems... Because why would Hannah's mom see out of anyone? Right, you know, sure. Especially if she's having like the like a, you know, that was around the time when she's starting to get really close with Pastor Ted, and um, I don't remember what was going on with Hannah at the time. But it it could make perfect sense that it's just a a time when, you know, Hannah's mom was just I don't know starting to get serious with another guy, and things were just like she's just kind of like brain panicking. I don't know.
0: Could be. It could be well, let's i to me, that's a pretty clear ghost sighting, but <laughs> I, I'll, I'll take that, I'll take that explanation, I think that's a fair a fair argument, um,
1: yeah, or just some random ghost, yeah, just, just some ghosts,
0: just some ghost, I guess one thing that I'm gonna nitpick in this episode was uh the Caleb Hannah situation where. Everyone's a little frazzled from the A message, the, the face chat message, because Snapchat and FaceTime don't exist in the world of pretty little liars. Mm-hmm. Um so they have this weird other technology, which who knows? Yeah. I mean, which is also like I you know, I've mentioned this a couple of times where it's like the rules of the show are not hundred percent reality, mm-hmm. right? Even without the supernatural stuff. So the whole idea of like Going on, hopping on someone's Bluetooth and just like downloading all their stuff in what seems like a pretty ridiculous way, is just like the standard of technology in the PLL universe. Yeah. So I guess it's not insane that um, Charles will be able to just somehow magically track them all. Right. You know. I think we just have to. I guess we can't be too detail focused on the, the these Probably sort of not. technical these technical hurdles. Um, but anyway, everyone's a little bit frazzled about. um this this A situation, and so they decide to start lying again to protect this thing, even though, like, Sarah's over with Emily, and everyone's together, and it's like, why would you not just say, okay, she's out of immediate danger, uh, let's try to move forward with this, and put continue to put A in the bind, which he clearly is in. Mm-hmm. You know, like, his hideout has been, they've been saved from the hideout, like, Everyone knows who he is, sort of. Like, there's only a limited number of things that he has left to do, mm-hmm. you know. And in all of season five, it seemed like he was pretty penned in, doing pretty desperate things. Yeah. And yet the the liars somehow don't aren't able to realize, like, oh, maybe we have the upper hand here. Maybe we should have a little bit more solidarity and not sort of fall back into this trap, which was like not good for us the first time ever, you know, and following this person's directions. Yeah. So we have a, you know, Hannah asking Caleb, oh, I need a little space, which obviously is just her reacting to the situation, but it's a bummer.
1: Yeah. I guess
0: it gives them the chance to like have an emotional reunion again, which the show enjoys.
1: Right, yeah, and it's the same thing with, like, you know, uh, in this episode introducing this new dude for Aria, I don't remember what his name is, Tyler? Is it Tyler?
0: I didn't catch it. Mr. Photographer.
1: He's a photographer, uh, he's, you know, really, su- he's super self-critical, just like any like, humble artist should be.
0: Right, he's the complete opposite of Spencer's last artist bro.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what's up with these artist pros? And that's why uh, this guy's going to be on, on the show for probably like three or four episodes and then he's just going to disappear. disappear. And then he's going to disappear so that Arya can be pushed towards Ezra again uh. because the show can't help it. And I will say... And, you know, it, there's no way that Hannah and Caleb would ever break up because it's just like... Why put all this effort into positioning Caleb as this perfect boyfriend, literally calling him a perfect boyfriend on more than one occasion.
0: Right.
1: Only for Hannah to sort of like dump him for really kind of no reason.
0: Right. right. Yeah, I don't I don't see that happening.
1: But so all this is really going to do is just going to push them closer together because that's what this show does. That's that's why uh, Ezra is going to happen. You because think so?
0: I hope not. I don't know. It's going
1: to. If I mean, we talk about this too, too much, so I won't go too much into it, but... If you pay attention to social media, everyone loves Ezria. Sure. No one thinks that there's anything wrong with this disgusting, terrible relationship.
0: But everyone loves all the ships. Everyone's like, Emerson! Like, any relationship on the show, someone is going to be like, yes, that one, that's a good idea. Yeah. You know, just because it's, like, established, and so you have time to get emotionally connected to it.
1: If two attractive people on the show have genitals, and those genitals can touch, people will want them to be together.
0: Pivot. What did you think of the Emily-Sarah pool scene sexually charged?
1: Oh, there was electricity in the air, <laughs> which was dangerous because they were in a pool. Right, yes. But yes, that was, yeah, they, like, it's surprising that they didn't kiss.
0: I thought that was going to happen, and then I was going to be like, no, Emily, this is a bad idea, probably. <laughs> so I guess it's good that it didn't happen, and it was a strictly platonic moment.
1: And a weird, you know, if 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 you sort of looked at the context a bit askew, you would almost think that Emily is kind of, uh, like, slightly predatory when she, like, because it's... Well, she
0: seems a little bit drawn to these troubled Exactly, yeah. Women.
1: And, it's, you know, it's almost like she kind of seeks it out, especially when... And there's one scene where uh, Nia Peoples was telling Emily that, like, we need to get her out of here... Like, if something happens to her, you know, forget being a nice person, I'll be the one who gets in trouble. Right. Like, if Sarah commits suicide by jumping off their roof, you know who's going to go to jail? Right. Neo Peoples. Right. And Emily's like, no, we need to help her, I can understand her. I would be like, girl, shut the fuck up, you're not the one who's going to go to jail. Right. Like, be a mom, Neo Peoples. Yeah,
0: that whole... I, I have no idea what the point of this character is and how they're going to play it out. Mm. Um, it seems like she should be important, but also maybe she'll just be what she superficially is. Yeah. And I think that's, I don't, you know, I don't even want to theorize too much about her because I feel like the odds are good that she will just be this superficial character who is just what has been presented. And Charles grabbed her for whoever knows why because he's a crazy person. I mean, the thing is like having Charles be this like psychopath who's been institutionalized his whole life pretty much sets the table for anything he did to be justified. Right. Like you don't really need a motive anymore because it's like, well, just a psychopath. Yeah. And it's
1: like, it's like, like, you know what I would actually uh, in a very deranged way kind of like as a plot point is, is that if... Sarah Harvey was like practice for Charles. Like he was preparing the dollhouse using like a girl like Sarah Harvey who maybe reminded her or him of of Allison or something. Sure. <clears throat> Absolutely. Yeah, and, that, and that's it. That she's insignificant. That she's a runaway. That he found like this runaway girl. Right. You know, with a shitty mom. Right. Um, that would make perfect sense.
0: Yeah, that would probably be the best the best route for them to go of him just being a sadistic garbage monster.
1: Yeah, right. Yeah, who just you know uh, wants to cook his his sister alive? Ugh. Yeah, that was that's kind of a that's a creepy scene. Uh, and on a side note, speaking of cannibalism, uh, did you hear that Hannibal was canceled?
0: I did hear about that.
1: Someone pointed it out that last time I spoke of of Hannibal, I, I said that I was. Surprised that it hadn't been canceled, and then <laughs> less than a week later it was canceled. <laughs> not that I'm original in, in thinking that it's a strange show to not have been canceled, but that well, does make me sad. So is it?
0: It's on season three now.
1: Yeah, apparently it's going to finish up its its season.
0: Do you think it'll get scooped up by Amazon or one of these streaming places?
1: I wouldn't be surprised. You know, especially like for fuck's sake, Netflix. If you're gonna if you're gonna buy the Killing, which is a far inferior show to Hannibal on infinite levels. If you're going to buy The Killing and let and let The Killing say fuck a few times, then you can buy something like Hannibal and give them the lack of censorship that they so badly want mm. and kind of need to sort of go that extra length in order to create the kind of show that I think they've always wanted to create.
0: Well, that's, I mean, it's an interesting time now because before a show would get canceled and, like, I remember Scrubs got picked up by another network.
1: Yeah. And that would, I
0: remember like thinking, UPn like. UPN or something. Yeah, and I remember being like, whoa, that's crazy that it would hop networks like that. And now it's pretty common for, like, Hulu or Netflix or something where, like, you know, somehow they can they can justify the cost or whatever.
1: Like the Mindy show got picked up by Hulu. It got canceled oh. off of Fox. Yeah. And got picked up by Hulu. Huh.
0: I didn't know that because I guess you know if you're Hulu or whatever, you just want to bring in subscribers and you kind of don't. Maybe you don't care. Maybe it doesn't matter. Like if these things don't get 10 million people or not.
1: What's crazy, and I think that this is like one of the rare times you can say this, is that you have Netflix and Hulu, who are just basically the the two services that anybody wanna, anyone would want to pay attention to side, you know, with, like, HBO Go on the side because HBO just has popular shows. But, you know, Hulu just Hulu just uh, revealed that they have the rights to Showtime. And Seinfeld. And Seinfeld. So Seinfeld, the whole Seinfeld series is coming out soon, next week. And starting this summer, I think starting, like, the end of July, Hulu is going to show all of these Showtime shows. Yeah. Which is crazy. That
0: puts them in a pretty good position i mean we just do netflix and you do hulu um and i don't like hulu because it shows you ads which i think is garbage i'm already paying for it don't show me an ad but uh yeah i mean that gives it quite the library
1: i mean i am a fan of hulu because and and we've talked about this before hulu has criterion collection movies which i like a lot of like really good ones in fact ones that you can't get a physical you can't get physical copies of yeah um they have a lot of old British shows. Uh, they just got all of Adult Swim, or a good, a good amount of, adults of Adult Swim. Nice. Uh, now they're getting Showtime, they're getting all of Seinfeld. Uh, they have most of the networks, the only networks they don't have are CBS. Yeah. They have Pretty Little Liars. They're, they're starting to show Pretty Little Liars the day after.
0: Oh, there you go. Yeah, I, I mean, it seems like Netflix has been pushing more toward original content, and now it has like five million shows. Yeah. And I can't even... We just finished Orange is the New Black, season three, which I really liked. Mm-hmm. And I guess we'll start Sense eight, but yeah. you know, we still have to watch Daredevil. Like, there's so much stuff. You should watch Daredevil.
1: Up. Yeah. Daredevil is... The first three or four episodes of Daredevil are pretty freaking awesome.
0: Well, we we watched the pilot, and I was like, I didn't enjoy this at all. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, I would watch one more and see if I get more into it.
1: I mean, it's... You know, it's supposed to be gritty. It's like a gritty Marvel movie sure. you know there are some pretty uh bravura shots like uh there's one fight scene i think in the third episode that is like a 10 minute fight scene with uh-huh. one shot it's just the camera just goes up and down the hallway and it's pretty awesome yeah it's 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 awesome because it's it, it's doing something that you don't see marvel movies do sure you know which is trying to be like a Gritty cop sh- thriller kind of show. Um, I think that towards the end of the season gets bogged down like anything with plot, you know, and so then it's just kind of like it gets a bit plot heavy and a bit melodramatic. But um,
0: it just seemed, I guess, Sensei was- is
1: bonkers. Sensei is just fucking bonkers. So. Yeah. Well, I've only watched like two or three episodes of that. okay. I mean. I yeah, I've
0: only heard I've only heard good things about it. Of course, the last Wachowski's thing, Jupiter Ascending, was about the worst movie of all time. So my expectations are not super high <laughs> for their TV debut, but um, I'm I'm very curious.
1: Yeah, we went and saw Jupiter Ascending in the theater. We never talked about it on the podcast, but, I mean, it depends. Whether you like it or not depends on how much you want to see a wolfman, uh, a a bare-chested wolf man rollerblading through space.
0: That part was cool. (laughs) That was, like, the only good part. I mean, it was just such a hot mess of, like, bad acting and bad character development and the same rescue sequence happening, like, multiple times and just, like, I mean, it could have been two movies, maybe, Mm -hmm. or three movies to try to, like, do it as one movie and create this entire world and just, like, <clears throat> wrap it up with just the most futile silly resolution It's yeah. like i don't know it it just for anyone who's seen the movie i mean you know that it just sort of hops through these multiple these three villainous characters and the first two you just kind of she just kind of gets rescued and it's like okay i guess we'll never talk to them again Yep. You know, and it just like makes no sense that that would happen, and that they would just be like, "All right, guess we don't give a shit about this anymore."
1: Well, and the villainous characters too. I remember specifically, the, you know, the like the big the big main baddie is the Eddie Redmayne character, and he who is just like, laughably ridiculous.
0: Well, I thought he was like the best part of the movie. Oh, he was. Because he's the only person who's like actually trying to act. As opposed to just like, who huh, I'm in a movie in space, that's crazy.
1: He reminded you know the more I thought about it, he reminded me of Gary Oldman and Dracula, like the you know what I'm you know thing like Oh, welcome to my castle. Oh. Right. Um but Right. It's like I'm acting. I'm acting <laughs> I'm acting so hard right now. I'm acting so hard in your face. Uh, the but what was really disappointing about that movie is especially with Sense8, which Sense8 has a lot of Someone once, someone described the show to me as, uh, civilization porn, which makes a lot of sense once you watch it, because it is literally just like, here's a snapshot of humanity, like, world, blah, uh-huh. like, in your face, here's the world, because um, it has, like, these, the main plot is that there are these eight people all over the world who have very different lives, but they're connected cerebrally, they, mm. like, you know, they eventually realize that they can, like feel and see they they have like they can have basically like embrace other people's senses in in their little like eight eight person group anyway uh the characters the way that the show deals with gender is extremely progressive uh and quite refreshing um there is a uh a transgendered couple um there is a just a, a, a male homosexual couple, um, and it never draws any attention to these couplings in any way where it's like their relationship problems are strictly based around the so-called unique gender issues that they have. It's just relationship issues for right. the most part. Right. But Jupiter, and especially, you know... Uh, with the Wachowskis formally being the Wachowski brothers and so therefore you think somewhat and, and uh, Lana Wachowski being so uh, such an activist for transgender rights that you think that there would be a little bit more sensitive, sensitivity in Jupiter Sending for female roles when the main female role is this like fucking worthless shell of a woman that is Jupiter.
0: Well, she's just this, like, princess who exists to get rescued from the castle.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Which is just so... That was what blew me away most about that movie, is that there's this character who's supposed to be, like, the strong... Could have been this strong woman, and is just a, a damsel in distress, and that is all the character is.
0: Right. And there's all these moments that, like, could have been funny, or... Or silly, I mean, when they go down to, like, the library, to, like, the steampunk library or whatever to get her, her like, princess credentials yeah. or whatever it is. Like, that whole sequence is, like, you know, it's like something out of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. And then that entire <laughs> section just, you know, there's nothing else in the movie like it. It's just, no, let's move right along into, like, horrible, vicious murder farms and eternal life and you know, space war and all that stuff.
1: And, like, the most... And, like, characters from the most icily cantina. That's another thing that I remember about that movie all of a sudden is all these, like, weird George Lucas-type aliens right. that are just, like, weird monsters all over the place.
0: Right. It's just... It was a movie that, like, it could have been more, like, the fifth element or it could have yeah. just, like... Even, even the Hitchhiker's movie. Guide movie. It could have just been, like, a lot more camp or a lot more funny um, or it could have tried to be... You know it just didn't work on a lot of levels, I think, in part because they tried to do this two or three movie plot in the span of one movie.
1: Where do you fall on okay, so like now you look back at the Wachowskis and you know they've hit this sort of fate and I never saw Cloud Alice I really I, didn't either. I, actually, I actually have no desire ever to watch it, but th- I think they've hit this like phase in their career where they can do whatever they want to do, but whatever they choose to do is usually has for the most part been panned. Right. Um,
0: Well, it is possible that, you know, just because you have one good idea doesn't mean you're going to make great things forever. And I think that's... I mean, I thought the first Matrix was great, of course. I I liked the second a lot. Mm -hmm. I have seen the third one once. And I remember pretty much enjoying it. Yeah. being like moderately dissatisfied by the ending but I didn't <clears> walk <throat> away from it being like oh what a what a bad movie or what a mess i you know i right. I think every so often huh you know I'd like to watch the third matrix movie again
1: yeah well I think that like and i and I still i it's i feel like it's been a few years since I've seen the matrix movie it hasn't been that long but uh, I remember enjoying it, and the second movie, and I enjoyed the mythology of it, and I, I enjoyed the grand ideas that it was playing with. Right. But I look back on it now, and what I think most of all is that maybe the Wachowskis have never had a sense of humor about anything that they have done, and maybe that's what is a problem with a lot of their stuff. Mm-hmm. Now, that is saying... This is just occurring to me is I've never seen Speed Racer either and I've heard a lot of people say that Speed Racer is like this like unheralded gem you Uh know Uh, and maybe that is just a total camp fest I have no idea or maybe it's this super self-serious thing about a boy who races a fucking future car I don't know Yeah. you know but that thing the worst part about Jupiter Ascending and the worst part about Sense8 even as I'm currently watching it is that there's no sense of humor about Mm -hmm. what it is it is so super serious about everything that is going on.
0: You know, and I just... It really bothers me when some piece of art is like that because that's not... It's not real. Mm-hmm. Like, the world is not all somber, grim, gritty existence. Mm-hmm. You know, you have to have a comedy and you have to have, like, some warmth and, you know, humanity and humor. And so when some artistic product... I mean, honestly, this is why I would take you know, a Judd Apatow movie, like, um, this is 40, you know, great movie about parenthood and, uh, adult relationships and it's not really taken with the same gravity as, like, one of these sort of bullshit, like, rich people Oscar dramas where everyone just, like, sits in their mansion and cries and gets a best, best actor nomination, right? But, like, because this is 40 has jokes and because there's, like, pooping and butts and stuff in it, like, somehow that's, not as, like, serious or as realistic a representation of life. When, in fact, to me, it's way more realistic.
1: Real life is filled with pooping in butts. Exactly. We can't get away from that. No. Uh, you know what that reminds me of is that we watched the premiere of True Detective on Sunday. Oh, man. Talk about a TV show that has... No sense Literally of humor. no sense of humor. No. That was such a fucking drag... Right. Oh my God! I I I think that in, and I think that you're with me on this. Is True Detective season one is great.
0: That's terrific.
1: So good, and it does have a little bit of it's 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 really dark and it's really up its own ass in a lot of ways. But and there are, there are some moments of levity that are just like, oh, that's Matthew McConaughey sort of like, being a funny drunk or that's like there's like some silliness to it, some goofiness, and then it f- slapses into you know like super self-serious stuff. Um, And I have no doubt that this season will have some moments of, uh, I don't know, potential for greatness, I guess. Like the moments in, you know, like the moments in the first season of True Detective where you're like, wow, that that was really awesome what just happened. Right. So well done. But I have never, I don't even remember the last time I watched anything that, catered so hard to an idea of what it was before that it like within the first 20 minutes was such an incredible parody of itself
0: well it completely i mean what made the first season great i guess i mean there are two things one is that the frame of the first like six episodes where they're being interviewed by these mcconaughey and and um what's his name, are being interviewed by these cops and they're being investigated yeah. and so it's all flashback and there's like this nice level of like friction and unreliable narration and you're you're like sort of catching up to the story yeah. and then it pivots into like, okay, now it's real time and you're like, oh, anything could happen now because it's not being told backwards and so that was like right. a super cool device um, and then you have this like very haunting central mystery and like this element of like not necessarily supernatural, but like of an existential angst to it mm-hmm. because of McConaughey's character and just because of the nature of the crimes. And so far this season is just like, no, it's just going to be troubled antiheroes. Just like no confusion about what they are or what's happening or whatever. Just pretty much just like terrible, troubled people feeling bad about themselves and punching people.
1: Just broken people, so sexually dysfunctional oh, yeah. the 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 ongoing metaphor for sexual dysfunction is so poorly handled that i just like it's just it's so hard to take seriously at all like you know the the sexy cop with his super like super hot girlfriend who only exists to want to fuck him right like she holds no other role besides laying in bed wearing barely any clothes begging this guy to fuck her and all he can do is take a viagra begrudgingly fuck her and then leave so he can go drive his motorcycle really fucking fast in the dark
0: well he can't feel like a man if he's not a cop
1: he can't feel anything
0: (laughs) yeah it, it was just i mean this this episode i mean there were a lot of critiques of season one about the way it treated women and the lack of women with agency and so this season's like okay, let's solve that by having a female cop character, but then like completely giving her just, just shitty treat, attitudes about sex. Just and treat about her like her. a
1: like a just treat her like a like a stereotypical man, like a stereotypical broken man. Like don't make her anything. Like there's no. I mean, maybe I'm wrong in thinking that, but it's like they just they just make her just like every other male character on the show. They don't they don't like give her anything that differentiates her well
0: she's even more i i think she's even like more diminished because it's like the whole first thing of the show is like oh she has daddy issues right like come on yeah exactly like that was your big, that was your big idea for this character is you would have like some her, this troubled past and like her being like the stable person who had to keep the family together or whatever, and so she like, I mean they lay out the whole thing in the first episode where the dad says your entire personality is a response to my values, and yeah. it's like man, way to like walk me right through the story pitch on that mm-hmm. one, you know? It's like yeah. is she is she going to get more interesting from there? Probably not.
1: No, no, I don't I don't think the show is going to, and then and then. Colin Farrell's character being just so deplorable and and they try to set it up where they kick off the season by showing why he's broken right which is uh from what you gather because the show like the show is almost willfully obscure in some ways where it's not even like helpful it just is kind of just obscure for the sake of being obscure, which you get the idea is that his wife was sexually assaulted. The result of that sexual assault was um his son, who he raised right. as his own, and then after his son came to a certain age, his wife left him and he was left with his son.
0: No, he's trying to get more time.
1: Oh okay. she took the kid she and he's trying
0: know. he's trying to get more custody yeah. time.
1: So he's you know, so he grows a handlebar mustache and gets just fucking like is basically just like a functional blind drunk, right? Um, which I don't know. You know, it's 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 funny when to to watch uh, Colin Farrell just like sit sit in his uh, police car and uh, you know suck from a from a flask. It's just like I don't know how many more. Broken cop dramas. I want to watch. I don't know how many more. Uh, how many more iterations of the same character are we gonna have to sit through, to, just like totally fucking. Like what? What are we get, What are we getting from this? What are? What are we? What are we supposed to, feel, well, when we see is, another is... like bad lieutenant? Basically. Yeah,
0: I mean, this is my whole gripe with these sort of, grim and gritty. Things And, like, if you look at, like, the comic books, you know, you can trace it back to the 80s and to, like, Dark Knight Returns and things like that. And sort of taking comics from, like, this colorful kids' medium to something that was, like, quote-unquote, okay for adults. And so it always has to do with, like, these conceptions of, like, what is serious and what is, like, for an adult audience. And so, of course, on American television, anything that's for adult consumption, well, let's just make it violent. Yeah. You know, and let's just escalate that and let's just have it be as horrible as possible. And because you can't show that to kids. And it's not even for, to me, it's not for any kind of narrative anything. I mean, same thing with Game of Thrones. Like, it's literally to separate the show on a genre level and say, this is for adults because we do things that you can't show to kids. Right. Like, not this is complicated and interesting and you can only absorb it as an adult. Yeah. But. It has, it has violence. Right. Or it has punching or guns or whatever
1: it is. Or, like, graphic sex or drug use, you know?
0: Right, right. But, of course, in these kinds of shows, you never see, like, a healthy version of sex. I mean, even on Game of Thrones, it really took till this last season for uh, for Daenerys to finally, like, be, be having, like, enjoyable consensual sex with a partner of her choice, mm-hmm. you know? Um, And Sam, also. Yeah. So there is, like, some, you know, relatively healthy presentation of adult lovemaking. But, you know, in this country, like, our entertainment is geared toward violence, and any amount of violence is cool. Um, But something like sex, which is a positive thing, is pretty much off limits, you know? Mm -hmm. Or, Or largely so, or has to be, like, presented in this, like, fucked up way. And, yeah, I mean, I just think so much of this kind of media is just, like let's just make it dark because we can or because it'll get attention or because that makes it for serious adults as opposed to like, why don't we make Kimmy Schmidt or why don't we make, you know, 30 Rock or This is 40 or something with like, something that's inspirational or funny or lighthearted or whatever and like still have something to say about the world yeah, and still be engrossing and complicated but also not be like, Totally fucking miserable to watch.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, to go back to Hannibal, I mean, it's an adult show. It's pretty grotesque, but it's also it's got it definitely has a sense of humor to it. There are some moments that are that kind of make you giggle a little bit. Uh, they're pretty bleak, and they can be it can be kind of graphic and uncomfortable to watch. But that almost makes it funnier, you know. Sometimes I think there's a fine line between. And that's why it's so much. Well, that's why so much of our of our comedy nowadays is so cringe based, is. People as much as people don't want to feel uncomfortable. That's what people makes people laugh.
0: Right. You test, know, it's sort of like t-
1: testing those lines between uncomfortableness and action and humor and finding the absurdity and then mining that absurdity for some sort of joke.
0: Right. Well, I think one thing that's great about Pretty Little Liars is like. It has been a really balanced show between having moments of humor and sort of more lighthearted moments and like actual jokes, you know, that are intended to be Mm -hmm. funny um, and really intense, dark moments, but never going really outside of a couple of uh, murders. I mean, the last couple seasons, we've seen it get a little bit darker because the show is doing this great job of recognizing that its audience is growing up. And it can ratchet up the tension, but that doesn't have to mean it's the most grotesque thing in the world. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be, like, the most horrible possible thing. It can be somewhere in the middle and still be super scary, but be, like, compelling and be right. make sense in terms of the plot and not turn these characters into just, like... Because all the liars have done bad things, mm-hmm. but all of them are pretty... Uh, Essentially, good people, probably, maybe not Arya, who's the worst. But you know, like all of them are, are redeemable characters, even Allison. And the show yeah. like tries pretty hard to keep them from getting into too dark a place.
1: um One thing we never commented on. Speaking of Arya, is the return of Mr. Montgomery. Yes. Back. Back to you know just sort of stand disapprovingly over Arya. Uh, well, I thought
0: the episode. I thought the parenting in this episode was pretty good. If we're grading, if we grade the parents, we should give the
1: parents a grade every week, a letter grade. Yeah. I w-
0: I would give everyone a solid A this week. The parents were looking out for their kids. They're trying to get them into therapy. They're making sure like you can't just drive around willy nilly with your kidnapper on the loose. Like that's obviously insane.
1: Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. Uh, yeah, I lo- yeah. Let's see. So let's yeah. Uh, we didn't see. We didn't see Mrs. Marin, but that's okay, because she was basically giving a lot of her parental agency to Caleb. Right. Who was very competent. Right. Uh, Mr. Montgomery was finally finally around, um, you know, just making sure that Arya is safe. Uh, in his own Chad Lowe type way, getting her to finally say something about her experience. Um... Uh, Nia Peoples was finally like just like hey uh, we gotta like tell somebody about Sarah this is bullshit like I'm not gonna take the fall for this girl I barely know uh, that you may or may not be in love with
0: and sent Emily to therapy
1: and sends Emily to therapy off camera I guess we didn't really see we didn't really see any uh, Hastings action Spencer's just tweaking out all over town (laughs) so maybe the Hastings the Hastings get a a solid B minus C for, well, just be, for not being around. For sure.
0: Sure. I think for the season so far, they're doing a good job.
1: Yeah. Keeping her
0: line. Trying to keep her away from the yeah. drugs.
1: And then, Mr. De Laurentiis, uh, he gains he gains a few spots in the ring. We should do his parent parental raking every week. We should. So, we gotta give, uh, maybe the week sh- might go to Mr. De Laurentiis, who in the past has been an underdog because he's been mostly absent for the most part, and then... Uh, last week was accused of bullying Jason and starting fights in order to avoid truth, which I think was a very astute observation on Allie's part. Yes. Um, but this week is uh, just totally honest. is very open and willing to talk about everything with Allison once it's revealed, which is surprising that you actually have scenes of father and daughter sitting around where the daughter is actually asking pertinent questions about the situation. Because right. I think too often in this show and many other shows like it you have sort of like this big reveal and then no one asks any other questions there's not just like a normal human thing which would be like okay now we're gonna have like a seven hour conversation about this terrible thing that, that we just revealed like until we're both too exhausted to speak anymore which it seems like this actually, actually is happening and then Mr. DeLorentis with a little bit of liquid courage is willing to tell Allison everything. Right. You know so he gets an A this week he goes that he's 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 our pretty little grown men parent of the week.
0: <laughs> well, with that, I think we can wrap this one up. Um, you can star fave us on ChatBook Tunes. Um, no, you can rate us on iTunes if you if you would like. Uh, I think you should. If you
1: recently found us, especially through uh, Director Norman. Uh, th- thanks, thanks Norman Buckley, for telling some people about us. If you heard about us through him, you should go to iTunes and you should rate us. Because it actually counts. It it it, it does things. It yeah. Bump, it bumps us. It just
0: it helps us find more people and get this the message of Pretty Little Grown Men out to a wider audience. We have to catch up with bros like Pretty Little Liars, too, uh, since they've been getting a lot of PLL shout-outs lately. So... <laughs> You know, it's not a competition, but it's kind of a competition. And
1: and you know, shout out, out like to, to, to out. Cabernet and A; those are good people over there. Uh, we should start our own. We've we've talked about this for a long time, but it actually thinks that the, like it actually seems like this is something that could be possible. Is to start our own Pretty Little Liars network or podcast network.
0: Yeah, or something. If we we'd like to have some other, of course, more guests on the show, and if anyone. Listening would like to be on and share some theories, or we were available for guest opportunities as well.
1: You can write us a letter or something. We'll read it on. We'll read. We'll read viewer mail.
0: Yeah, or you can tweet us at, at @plgm_podcast, uh, and we can read those tweets on the live on the air.
1: Uh, yeah, we will. So thanks, everyone, and as we go forward, let us be your rock in the forest, bitches. <laughs>